This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. I am Jason Kong. I have the pleasure of being here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson of Transitions Life Care. Mary, how are you today? Doing well. I'm, I've been working on my radio voice. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, you're gonna have to give me some tips because you're a pro. I just feel like I don't. I need to talk with more inflection. Yeah. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. That's that's just all for show. You know what you're talking about, which is ninety percent of. Uh, of the game here on the radio. Sam, how are you? Were you doing any vocal exercises? You know what? I'm good with my voice. I had shout out to my college professor who told me I sounded too cheerleadery when I did recording. So, you know what? Here I am now. We'll we'll send her the podcast and say, all right. Who's the cheerleader now? (laughs) Well, we've got a wonderful show lined up today. We're going to be talking a lot about falls and fall prevention as that is a very serious subject and something that Uh, as caregivers we should all be aware of and to start things out we're going to be talking about what happens initially when there is a fall and what to look for and to have a thoughtful conversation on that we've brought in Sarah Frank and Sarah is a family nurse practitioner with Dispatch Health. Sarah thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure thank you for asking. Sarah, I'm glad to have you today, and this is really great timing for this topic. Um, for those of you who listened to our episode last week, my grandmother had a recent fall, uh, so we're looking at trying to do some things to make her a little safer in home, how we can prevent future falls. Uh, so first we wanted to talk about our first instinct when someone falls is to just run over and help them up. Is that always the best thing to do? So I'd say from my perspective, I also have had numerous falls in my family members and mm-hmm. things over the years um, between my grandmother, most recently my mom. Um, and I think the first thing that I sort of look at as having done this for years and, and on a safety standpoint is I always wonder why they fell. That's always my first question. Was it a trip and fall? Was it a low blood sugar and fall? Was it a confusion or dizziness and fall? So that, that's sort of where I always start when I'm assessing a fall. What are some of the injuries that you should look for first when you're a caregiver or you yourself have fallen? What should you keep an eye out first? You say, you know, I'm, I'm laying here on the floor. What, what, what's the first thing you go to? The first thing I go to is, uh, you know, more of a head-to-toe approach. So I'm looking at the head, right? Is there bleeding? Is there confusion? Uh, are they able to physically move and converse normally? How's the head? So first the shoulders up is what I'm most interested in. Wonderful. And are there some key injuries that people, you know, when someone falls, what are some of the main injuries that people have um, that that you're looking for as well? Um, anything where they're striking their head, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're concerned if they have blood thinners or other medicines. Um, maybe it's simple that they have diabetes and they sort of got confused and fell or looking around them sort of did something stumble them up to fall. Um, I'm most concerned, of course, like I said, about, about their cognition. 
um, and then sort of going down if they're having any chest pain and then how their limbs are, their bones, mm-hmm. if their hips okay, how they look all over. Mm-hmm. I know my grandmother's guilty of this too. And sometimes we know that people can be embarrassed about their fall and they may ignore some pain or symptoms. What are things that you as mm-hmm. a caregiver could look for if someone is not admitting they're in pain or something is wrong? Sure. I think, um, you know, just chatting with them, sort of seeing what they tell you at first, um, but then observing how they're, they're sort of rebounding from the fall. So if they're guarding an area or if they're, they're sort of brushing it off but not returning to normal mobility and normal cognition. I think that's something I'm guilty of. You know, mm-hmm. if I if I trip I'm, or going up the stairs, I'm like, oh, I'm good, I'm good. And then, like, I get to my office, I'm like, ow, my toe. <laughs> it's that later setting. I think that's day. one of the – yes, it's those later things, like after a car accident or a fall or anything where, you know, a few hours later, the, the muscle and muscular skeletal issues become much more apparent and you become much more sore, you know. Definitely. And that feeds in perfectly to my next question. How would you determine, you know, some of those things, like you just said, set in later, and how would you evaluate or determine later if it's a sprain versus a strain versus a broken bone? I know that, you know, you look down, you have a big bruise, and you're like, oh, that hurts. Is that a sprain? Or did I really, mm-hmm. did I really mess something up, you know? Sure. Um, in the elderly, I think, you know, it's, it's like you talked about embarrassment and people don't want to talk about why they mm-hmm. why they fell um, or sort of they're accustomed to joint pain from chronic arthritis uh, or anything like that. And so I think just sort of taking inventory on how your body's feeling is really important. Um, I see a lot of people post falls that really initially thought it was not a big deal, but then find themselves unsure if it is or isn't. And that's when I, I go out to the homes a lot of times through my job. Mm -hmm. I know my grandmother, you know, thankfully she was fine, nothing serious after her fall, but she, I mean, she looked like she got into a UFC fight. So uh, she had bruises all over her face. Um, So I know it can look really scary, but um, it's it's good to always assess those. Uh, What can you do at home if things don't look too serious? You know, it was maybe a minor fall. We don't really need to call someone out. Mm -hmm. Sure. So I'd say the the ones that don't need, again, back to, not to harp on it, but the difference between sort of a dizziness and fall mm-hmm. uh, or a chest pain and fall might need more evaluation than you would anticipate. If it's a younger person and it's a very clear trip and fall over the dog or a rug, mm-hmm. um, those, are, those are a little more straightforward. Um, and so I'd say first, you know, sort of whatever medication you know through your your doctor you're allowed to take for pain via ibuprofen or acetaminophen um, is fine. You can ice the area if it's very clearly an extremity issue, you know, legs, arms. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it starts to be more central, so bruising in the torso, so anywhere on your body, around your kidneys or back or head, in my opinion, especially in older adults, and especially if they're on any blood thinners, does need further evaluation. Mm-hmm. So what would you do if nobody was around to help and you've fallen? What can you do next? Do you get yourself up? Um, if, you know, if someone's already feeling a little bit unstable, are there steps that they can take to make sure that they're not at further risk? Sure. Um, so I would say, you know, and, and hindsight, of course, is twenty twenty, but I would say the most important thing is to 
assess your plan before you fall. So think about what things you have, be it a call bell or be it um, a way to get a hold of someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandmother was very unsteady for years and years on her feet and did not like to call for help and was mm-hmm. in her private home. The house was sort of large um, and my grandfather might be somewhere different. So she hated it, but he insisted that she, she wear a uh, whistle around her neck. Mm-hmm. She had one hanging on the bedpost and she had one every morning around her neck. And the agreement was if she felt unstable or wanted help, she would blow the whistle and he would come. Mm-hmm. Now, the benefit of that is he could hear it from the porch or outside. And I know it took some getting used to and she didn't feel, she didn't, she sort of questioned the dignity of this, but it really saved her time and time again, just knowing it was there and being able to call without yelling if her, if she wasn't feeling strong enough for that the whistle really was useful in our family. Mm-hmm. I know we got my grandmother a life alert type uh, call system and her fall was in the middle of the night and she also lives alone. So it was really a lifesaver in that aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked a little bit. Yeah, earlier. I think living alone. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, no. I think especially if you live alone or with another uh, family member that's, that's elderly or may need help, I think the call that button is, a great resource. Mm-hmm. I really do. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned earlier about medication and it can sometimes cause falls. Uh, what medications can make falls worse or maybe look worse? Um, so definitely anything that sort of thins your blood. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's quite a few things, you know, including aspirin or things after people have um, stents put in their heart uh, or in their legs blood thinners that, or after a uh, blood clot in the leg or the lung that we use as, as providers to keep patients from reclotting. But those will make not just the exterior, so your skin and your face and your body at the superficial level look more bruised and, and can potentially look worse than it is, but it's also dangerous for the inside bleeding that you may not be able to see. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, we are speaking with Sarah Frank. She is a family nurse practitioner with Dispatch Health, and we have more questions for her. Next segment, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Stadler, getting a perspective on the emergency room side of things and what happens uh, for treatment when someone suffers a fall. But we are going to come back to you, Sarah, uh, after that segment. So stick around for that. You're listening to Aging Matters care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson, and we are continuing our conversation on falls. And we're going to get into fall prevention a little bit later in the show. But right now, we are going to focus on the emergency side of a fall and what to do after that. And we are very pleased to welcome Dr. Carlton Stadler. He is the Regional Medical Director for the Eastern Portion uh, of the United States for 
Dispatch Health. Dr. Stadler, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thank you for having me. I really appreciate this. Yeah, definitely. So we've been talking a little bit about falls, the non-emergency side of things, but um, I myself have had an experience in this, but once someone has fallen, um, there's definitely some eye, things you should keep an eye mm-hmm. out post-fall for more serious issues. I know my grandmother, my grandfather fell, hit his head on the fireplace, and he was fine up front. Everything was good. And then all of a sudden, he started slurring his speech, and we were wondering, is this an emergency? It definitely was an emergency. But can you talk to us through some things that people should keep an eye out for post-fall for these more serious issues? Yeah, you know, that's a really great point because falls are falls can be a mixed bag of injuries, unfortunately. And depending on how high the person falls from, um, you know, certainly that does increase um, how serious the fall consequences could be. Certainly people that are just walking down the street falling can also have grave consequences that we have to watch out for. And you mentioned a few of those with some slurred speech, altered mental status, nausea and vomiting, Mm -hmm. and then always throwing in whether or not this patient has a history of being on a blood thinning medication. Mm -hmm. As you know, blood thinning medications can increase the risk of bleeding, Mm -hmm. not just on the extremities that you use to brace your fall, but also in the head and the neck. And so patients that are on those blood thinning medications, we want to increase that level of awareness. And I will tell you this, anybody that falls and hits their head who is on a blood thinning medication should absolutely report to an emergency room, no matter what symptoms they're currently having. Because as you mentioned with your grandfather, sometimes those symptoms are delayed and the ability to get on top of those as early as possible is most important. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that any patients who are on blunt thinning medications and have fallen and maybe have hit their head should definitely be calling 911 or heading to an emergency department. So maybe in some other scenarios, when is the right time to call 911 after you've had a fall? You know, I think the appropriate time, and we were asked the question a lot, when is it appropriate to call 911? When is it appropriate to seek those higher levels of care? I think in we, whenever you find yourself in a situation where you're not sure what to do or how to handle the symptoms, you should be reaching out to that higher level of care. Certainly patients, when they fall, that have loss of consciousness, nausea and vomiting, um, or, or don't remember or have slurred speech, or their mentation level or their level of consciousness changes over a short period of time. Those are all reasons why you would want to immediately call 911. Mm-hmm. Again, what we're looking at is a, a spectrum or a change in that mental status. And so oftentimes we will see patients that um, fall and just have, you know, benign bumps on the head. Mm-hmm. Um, but there can be internal injuries that can certainly cause a lot more symptoms that we want to watch for. Mm-hmm. Those are some great points. So now that we have called 911, we're in an emergency, what should someone do as a caregiver if they are there to stabilize that patient while they wait for 911 to arrive? What are some key things that they should be doing? That's a really powerful question because I think that once someone does fall, what we want to do at that point is prevent further emergencies, prevent further injuries. And so having that patient lay on the ground still with their neck supported And by that, I mean I need the neck in line with the rest of the spine. Mm -hmm. And I don't need the patient turning their head one way or another because if the patient does have a neck injury, which can sometimes present later, we want to be reassured that we're not causing further injury Mm -hmm. by ensuring that that neck is staying in place. 
That's really helpful. You know, there's a lot of people who just and I, it feel those minutes can feel mm-hmm. like hours when you're waiting for 911 to arrive. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'm from experience. Definitely. So, what are some of the more serious injuries post fall that you've seen in your practice? You know, I've been practicing emergency medicine for over 15 years now, mm-hmm. and I've seen the gamut, um, a full array of different types of injuries. Something as benign as a bump on the head some bruises, um, sometimes some swelling, all the way to, to someone actually starts bleeding inside of their brain. Mm. Bleeding inside of the brain is a very serious injury and can happen very quickly in patients that are on blood thinning medications. Mm-hmm. Additionally, as we see with our elderly population, the brain tends to, to shrink slightly as we get older, which leaves a lot more room for that brain to move around inside the head with a fall and cause further injury. And so I've seen anywhere from, uh, again, a bump on the head to patients that are actually causing bleeding inside their brain. Wow, that's exactly what happened to my grandfather in brain surgery and two months of rehab later, he's doing well. So we're very thankful that we got him to the emergency room quickly. Um, for someone who has been to the ED multiple times or a family member or a patient that you're seeing multiple times, are there things that you would recommend or speak to the patient and or caregiver about to prevent these rehospitalizations and reoccurring mm-hmm. falls? You know, that's a really great question because unfortunately we find ourselves in the position of not knowing what to do in those situations. And so we reach out to the place that has offered us the most guidance and the most care. Emergency rooms are appropriate in a lot of different ways for not only assessing and treating those emergencies, but most emergency rooms have the ability to have a case manager, um, which is a licensed clinical social worker in the emergency room that is able to really tuck patients in to the social programs of that particular hospital to help with the help families and patients with this aging process. Now, whether some of those would include, you know, a home evaluation, are we looking at some of those social determinants of health, Mm. those things that happen outside of an ER or happen outside of a controlled setting that really make patients fall between these white spaces between care. And so what a lot of case management can do in an emergency room when someone asks is they can do this social screening. They're looking at a home evaluation at that rug in the middle of the room that causes patients to continuously fall. They're getting a medication reconciliation. In fact, they're looking at all of their medications to ensure that we're not using medications that are causing this increased risk of falling. They're also looking at some of the needs of these patients. Patients as we age continue to, it's an evolution where their needs are going to change over time. And oftentimes they're going to increase. And so assessing for those increases at regular intervals to determine how we can best, again, tuck that patient into some of those social programs that are offered um, at the specific facility um, will help, again, prevent that patient, kind of really kind of wrap their hands around them to protect them in a lot of ways. That's really helpful and something that everyone should be thinking about when they're going back to the hospital too many times. So, you know, I have a new Apple Watch and I'm so excited about this feature, although I haven't used it yet because I haven't fallen. But um, there's this new fall detection feature, which I think is so cool. And I'm glad that they're making technology now to address some of these issues. Are medical alert devices or Apple Watches worth it for someone who's a caregiver and worried about uh, their loved one falling? Or I know this has EKGs on it and things like that. So what are your thoughts on these medical alert devices? 
You know what, I'll tell you, anytime we can increase the awareness of the people caring for patients um, that are not specifically trained to, whether it be fall protection devices, whether it be those EKG devices, or any of the other features that are going to be coming out with smartwatches, I think that's a positive thing. Um, because again, what those are effectively are social support tools for those patients. They are ways that allow, that allow not only family increased information, increased guidance, and therefore increased support for, um, for what they're going through, whether it be a fall, whether it be a change in their heart rate or rhythm, or just a change in their overall vital signs. That is Dr. Carlton Stadler, Regional Medical Director, East for Dispatch Health. Dr. Stadler, we thank you so much for your time and your expertise today. Uh, it, it, it was very helpful for us and for our listeners. I appreciate the opportunity, and God bless you all. Thank you very much. You too. We are going to continue our conversation about falls. Up next, we're going to uh, focus on the prevention side of things, so stick around for that. You're listening to Aging Matters care and comfort that surrounds you a service of transitions life care it's your life your care on fm 98.5 am 680 wptf news talk traffic this is aging matters care and comfort that surrounds you on fm 98.5 am 680 wptf 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. If you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, be sure to go online to transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. Org. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson, and we are uh, continuing our conversation here on falls and fall prevention, and we're bringing back Sarah Frank, who is the family nurse practitioner with Dispatch Health. And Sarah, thank you so much for your patience and sticking with us as we spoke with Dr. Stadler. But, uh, you know, we've, we've kind of got the perspective of, hey, what, what happens when there's a fall initially? How do we sort of assess things? Then we had the discussion on treatment and what happens in the emergency room. And now we're going to really focus and dial in on what we can do uh, in terms of prevention. Mm -hmm. I think this one is one of my favorite questions that I get at the doctor's office. I heard it recently at a cardiology visit and they, at check-in, they, they go through their screening questions, which now include COVID and all these other things. But have you fallen in the last 30 days is something I hear at all doctor's offices. And I myself am quick to say, no, 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 I haven't. I can imagine as we were talking earlier about people who may be embarrassed or ashamed of falling, could be like, oh, yeah, no, I'm good. Um, but is there, should we be keeping falls a secret? Should you be answering that question honestly and really thinking and evaluating why you've fallen? Um, is this something that uh, we should be keeping a secret, Sarah? So, I mean, the short answer is, of course, no. And I'd like to say why. So, mm -hmm. and I'm as private as anyone else, right? You want to say, I'm fine. It's no big deal. I got myself up. It only hurt for three days. You know, that's what you're telling yourself in the back of your head. Mm -hmm. But I think that the benefit of sharing this with your provider is sort of, again, kind of super sleuthing what happens so we can help prevent them in the future. 
You know, we're not going to say get rid of your dog. Like, you know, if that's why you fell. But the things that we can really help with, so let's think about preventable preventable reasons for fall mm-hmm. and why you would discuss that with your provider. So, you know, if it's a general weakness issue or lack of conditioning or an issue with walking, though you often hear it as gait disturbance or a balance disorder or arthritis, we can help with physical therapy referrals, general exercises. There's very, and this is sort of about empowering. So don't, I wouldn't look at it as divulging your secrets as much as empowering yourself and looking for solutions to stop the falls or at least reduce the likelihood of a fall. So I would say general deconditioning and physical well-being is, is part of it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, another one that is really modifiable is medications and or alcohol. So if we're giving you medicines that, is make, like, that are contributing to you falling, help us help you stop that. You know, none of us as providers want patients to be at, at danger or at risk. And so letting us know those things can really improve your outcomes at home or wherever you live uh, and to reduce the falls. Um, if I could add one more on that, I would say visual disorders. So mm-hmm. if it's a cataract issue or you need new glasses, this is, uh, again, a modifiable cause that we can work towards fixing to reduce the likelihood of falls. Mm-hmm. Does that really make sense? Great po- yeah, there's great points in there, and it makes a lot more sense now when you think about it, and especially mm-hmm. going in the cardiologist, when the cardiologist asks it, they're thinking it's about important. your medications yeah. and, and all of those things combined, so that's very helpful. Mm-hmm. So let's say... And if I can add one more on that that patients hate to talk about, Mm -hmm. but I would say if it's a continence issue Mm -hmm. where you're feeling like you desperately need to get to the restroom Mm -hmm. and weren't anticipating needing to go. So if there's an urgency issue, you know, with the bathroom, we can help with that too. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a great point. Yeah, that's what we've experienced with my family. So that was the cause of the fall there. Very Uh, common. And and people don't want to have an accident. And nobody does. And I understand that. But there's so many, not even just through medication, there's exercises and and sort of toilet planning. So maybe Mm -hmm. every two hours you go to avoid that urgency. But we really can help you and we really care that mm-hmm. you are okay, not just at your quick visit, but at home. Yeah, there's a definitely point. a lot of solutions there. Mm-hmm. So let's say you're mid-fall, it's happening, you're heading towards the ground. Mm-hmm. Are there things that you could do to try to avoid serious injury from happening? Sure, I would say mostly if you're going down, you're going down, mm-hmm. right? So you can sort of protect your head, um, but try, not grabbing for things that are, you know, like you can see it almost in slow motion, right? Mm-hmm. So you're grabbing for things that are also coming down with you, mm-hmm. be it the coffee pot or, you know, all these things. So, you, so you're creating flying debris that's coming down with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say just prote- <laughs> protecting your head and, and doing your best. Mm-hmm. You're, it's not going to look like a superhero. It's just, you know, it's self-protection at this point. Definitely. Um, another thing I was, I was just thinking about this. My grandfather um, loves his handy dandy slippers and he shuffles around <laughs> in his slippers and, or, and, mm-hmm. or his, um, what he likes to call his sandals, which are a, um, 
a, uh, I don't even know how to explain them. You can kind of strap them over your toes. I guess they're like water <laughs> shoes almost. <laughs> and yep. for him, it's the easiest because, you know, he has chronic heart failure. It, it, it keeps his, his feet swell. And so it's hard for him to get his shoes on already. And so just wearing yep. slippers or these little Tiva sandal kind of things, and they're easier for him to put on himself. So he can hardly bend over in the first place. So putting on his shoes is already a problem. So we've got multiple things going here. But the slippers and shoes, I can't imagine these are safe. Are there alternatives that you could think about? Is is our shoes a problem in having the right footwear? So that's actually a great question. Um, I would say yes. Um, the solution that we found in our family that worked great uh, for my family member that was also having issues with heart failure, as well as impaired sensation in the feet due to neuropathy from long-term diabetes, was um, it was sort of a, it was an outdoor shoe with a, a sturdy rubber sole and leather or, or faux leather upper mm. that we got for 10 bucks at Walmart. They mm. were the ones that he loved to go out of the house in. So we bought a second pair that was just a home shoe. Um, so they were clean and they were, you know, you'd trade out your outdoor shoes for your indoor shoes. But the consistency in that same footwear uh, as well as the stability that was provided from it really being uh, an outdoor shoe mm -hmm. made a huge difference for us. And they still allowed some elastic room for, for foot swelling and other things. That's so helpful. And we, the shoe battle is always mm -hmm. a battle for us. It's like, you're going to fall in mm -hmm. those slippers. You're going to fall. Why are you wearing those? <laughs> oh, and the socks around the house with no grip. Yes. I actually saw a patient in the last two weeks that had a laundry basket. I did want to mention that he had a laundry basket. So two hands on that, oh, uh, socks no. on, and socks uh, and, and wooden floors. Yeah, so you're creating nice. sort of setting up the situation that it, you know, and that was a definite trip and fall or slip and fall, nothing else going on with him. But right. he was pretty sore after I and bet. just sort of needed the reassurance of that. Oh, yeah. that makes I've me, definitely, that makes me so nervous even hearing it. I've definitely <laughs> slid down the stairs a few times in my socks. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yes. Me too. Me too. <laughs> yes. Um, so on the other hand, so we've got, we've got the shoe problem. On the other hand, my grandmother, um, she on, has refused a walker at all. I am independent. I don't need that walker. Mm -hmm. Don't, I am not using that. It sits in the corner, even though her doctor has told her, everyone has told her, you need the walker, you were going to fall. And she continued to fall. Um, and we always asked her, where's your walker? She's, no clue. It's in the corner. Uh, how do you determine appropriate mobility aids? And when's the right time as a caregiver to enforce the mobility aid? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, so a lot of that's determined more at a really good physical therapy eval. Mm. Um, the, you know, and, and training with that, right? So where you're looking when you're using a walker. So I, with, when someone's really apprehensive to using those things, I sort of start with why. Right. Is it, you know, a self-esteem issue? Is it feeling insulting to you? Or do you just hate it? Or do you not like how it rolls? Or is it too heavy? So a lot of just asking yourself, if, if you're the, the patient, you're like, what, what is my resistance to this? Mm -hmm. And a lot of those things are modifiable. So tell me what you will use. You know what I mean? And sort of working with someone to see what, what they think. Mm -hmm. I care what the patient is willing to use. So if they're not willing to use that, then how about a, a, a tri-point cane or something like that? And if not, why? 
Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned too about um, getting a therapy eval. What's kind of the first steps or how does someone go about getting that therapy eval? Sure. So depending on your insurance and your state, oftentimes you can self-refer for physical therapy. Um, if it's a strength issue or a gait or walking issue, um, it depends on the patient uh, or the individual's ability to get to and from physical therapy if they want to do it in an office or if they're more comfortable having a therapist come to their home um, and sort of how the family at large and, and the individual um, that, that needs the assistance is going to seek that care. So depending, again, on, on limitations and insurance, you oftentimes can self-refer. So you call someone that's convenient down the street and you say, I've seen your office. I would love to come in. I'm concerned about my strength or my lack of coordination and conditioning. The therapist there really helps with a plan on that. If you are required to have a referral, I can't think of any primary care provider that would deny you or not be thrilled that you're looking for, you know, bettering your physical abilities and the outcome and safety for you in the home. So I think that's a great place to start, either one of those. She is Sarah Frank, a, a family nurse practitioner with Dispatch Health. Sarah, uh, we, we could talk to you all day, but we're running out of time here. Uh, I want to thank you so much for sharing uh, some really helpful information with our audience. And if folks want to find more about Dispatch Health, you can go online to dispatchhealth.com, dispatchhealth.com. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. I appreciate your interest. And I really do think that caring for the patients at large is the main goal of, of all the providers. And so just talk to us. We're happy to help. Excellent. Again, dispatchhealth.com if you want to find more information about them. A quick break and back with more. This is Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. This is Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. News, talk, traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson, and we have lift off of our final segment here as we uh, are about to conclude the afternoon program here. But uh, we did want to spend some time uh, sharing a, a few tips, and I know we want to get into a conversation about the caregiver summits as well. We've got a save the date that we want to mention. Mm -hmm. we, we brought that up last week, but I think it's a good idea to remind folks again. But Mary, you, uh, you stumbled upon an interesting article that we wanted to share with folks today. Definitely. So I talk about my grandfather all the time. I, I um, also was a caregiver prior to starting to care more for my grandfather. My grandmother, um, uh, about 10 years ago, she had Alzheimer's, and it was a seven-year-long journey that we had her in a facility, and um, you know we had to move her out of her house, and it was just um, a long journey for us for over seven years. And something in that journey that we learned was reminiscing 
and sharing memories from the past was a way that we could connect with her. And when even when she forgot our names when we were helping to take care of her, there was definitely, you know, she was an English teacher uh, in the public schools around here, and um, she really connected to books. And mm. uh, she would go back and quote lines from books. Even when she wasn't remembering us or our names, she was remembering exact lines from books. That's it was so amazing. really interesting. It is. Um, but I think reminiscing and having some of these memories and positive feelings from pleasant memories can help. Um, you c- you could see her stress kind of relieve mm-hmm. when we when we were sharing those memories, or um, it really helped her mood and rec- uh, decreased her agitation. And um, I think that there's something there in reminiscent yes. therapy. And it, and I saw this article earlier, and we wanted to share some of the things from that article with you all. Uh, one of the tips that this article from DailyCaring.com provided uh, was just listening to favorite music with. Uh, folks with Alzheimer's dementia. Uh, There's actually a really interesting documentary called Alive Inside. Um, It shows how music and memory is just so fascinating, the way the brain works. Um, There are some nonverbal Alzheimer's patients who Mm -hmm. can listen to music, uh, remember every single lyric and word to the song, kind of like how you mentioned your grandmother remembered lines from books. but there's just something about music, too, that can spark um, some of those memories in folks. And they actually worked with a gentleman who uh, was nonverbal, listened to music, and was speaking in full sentences afterwards. Um, so I recommend checking that out. It's called documentary is called Alive Inside. Um, and they talk about the music in memory program. It's it's a really great way. So getting a playlist, um, you know, getting on your on your phone, uh, using Spotify, whatever platform you use, putting something together to play for someone uh, with Alzheimer's dementia can really help bring up some great past experiences for them. And that's really interesting program you also brought up. Transitions volunteers do the music and memory program mm-hmm. as well. So for our patients on hospice that have um, cognitive decline or uh, memory issues, that's an opportunity for our volunteers to help, which is awesome. I, I've i always wanted to take out records. Um, mm-hmm. I, we wanted to do that when my grandmother was still alive and um, we didn't have the resources to do it, but I've always thought that that's very interesting yes. and a, a great way to reminisce. And this uh, second tip is actually one of my favorites. We've recently been doing this as we've been going through some things in my um, grandmother's house is looking at photos, keepsakes or magazines. Um, I can literally spend all day looking through old photos. I think they're so cool. It's so great to look at and see some of the things. I mean, my grandmother saved, I think, every single picture they ever took known to man. So um, going through some of those with your loved one can be really great um, to remind them of their favorite hobby or things that they used to love to do, too. Um, And for magazines, you know, someone who maybe liked to garden or loved home decor. um, I remember talking to a family whose loved one, she used to be um, an interior designer. So she really wanted someone to come and sit and just read interior design magazines with Mm -hmm. her. Um, So those can be great ways, too. To spark some of those memories. Definitely. I for my grandmother it was her books. And you could mm-hmm. bring in her old books and even her old textbooks. And she used to write in them and just write notes from her teaching lessons. And it was so it's now it's really interesting for us and a way for us to reminisce mm-hmm. um, as her family and go back and think about her when you when you look through her books and all of the writing that's in her books that um, through that long journey and it's it's a, a sentimental moment for us when we go back and look at those keepsakes. So I, I can totally relate to that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, another tip that they had was smelling familiar scents and favorite foods. So cooking together. Um, I thought this was really interesting. You could create scent jars uh, using spices or oils to remind them of favorite foods. So like if they love making apple pie like my grandmother mm-hmm. did, you can make a little apple pie scent jar with some of the apple pie spices. And mm, This is making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Bad timing right before dinner here on a Saturday. Um, but taste is a wonderful way to bring back memories. So, um, you know, even if you know, Thanksgiving was a big deal for your family, mm-hmm. maybe you cook a little Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> yeah, big, big deal. And We're invite me over food. while you're at it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another great tip shared was enjoying some tactile activities like painting, pottery, or maybe other crafts. Um, I know us at Transitions, we actually have some great donations of what we call busy blankets. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're really great for some of our Alzheimer's patients that we see there, maybe in more advanced stages. Um, but it just just giving them something to do with their hands can be um, a great distraction sometimes, too. So maybe, you know, even if they can't make a beautiful painting anymore or craft any pottery, uh, just swirling paints around or just sometimes them going through the motions scribbling you know playing with yarn or fabrics um, can really help with some of those memories too if you had a loved one who was particularly crafty in their day yes and I also was thinking you know bringing out old outfits or mm-hmm. jewelry that were significant to a certain event or um, you know if there's a wedding dress that's still around or um, you know any any jewelry that they wore often bring out the old jewelry box and Mm -hmm. let them play dress up and and feel those moments again and handling those those the jewelry and the cloth and and feeling those memories again um could be something that's reminiscing and and helpful for their mood and kind of uh calming them down Mm -hmm. so i think these are all really great ideas and um and ways to reconnect yeah it's and it's powerful too I'll, i'll share a short story my grandmother she uh had alzheimer's and you know we would reminisce from time to time, but uh, you, you have to imagine my grandmother. She was uh, this Chinese woman who grew up in the heart of the Chinese-Japanese War, so just this very stern yeah. kind of strident <laughs> woman. But, you know, when you have Alzheimer's, you have your good days and your bad days. And this was just kind of a, a mellow day. And anyway, she told this, this story, and we were reminiscing uh, about her early love life. She had this boyfriend, but, um, you know, at that time, arranged marriages were very much a thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, that couldn't quite happen. But, you know, by reminiscing and telling those stories, like that was a lasting memory for everyone. We're like, oh man, she let her guard down and we we got this cool story out of it. So those are some great tips and some things that we can all do together as families to engage our loved ones. And so hopefully those have provided an activity or a thought for some of us. Uh, Before we head out of here today, Mary, let's give an update on the Caregiver Summit. I know we have a date. Mm -hmm. We Uh, do. What can we share? All right. So the next Caregiver Summit will be both in person and we'll live stream it. It will be at the NC State McKemmon Center Conference and Training Center in Raleigh. Uh, It is on September 15th from 8 until 1230. Uh, The brain awareness uh, that we were just talking about, brain, Alzheimer's, cognitive decline, uh, and memory awareness is one of our topics. So it'd be a great way for uh, caregivers to get more information about brain health. Uh, We will also have um, a track on heart head and hands in a post-COVID world, so how to take care of your loved one at home. Uh, And you can attend up to three sessions. Uh, You can mix and match from the different topics. You don't 
have to attend all of the brain health awareness sessions. You can switch it up a little bit. There will also be a lot of exhibitors there, some great resources for you to take home when you're caring for your loved one, and also a way to network with other caregivers in person. But for those who don't want to attend in person, it will also be virtual. We'll be taking an abundance of caution related to the pandemic. We're limiting the number of caregivers and exhibitors. Uh, so registration is required whether you attend a plan in person or virtually. Um, you can find out more at caregiversummit.org. Caregiversummit.org. Again, the date is September 15th. If you go to caregiversummit.org, there's plenty of <coughs> excuse me information there. Registration is not open yet, but that will happen soon. So keep an eye on that. And there's also some very helpful information on theirs for uh, folks who may have missed out on the uh, April session this year. They've got all the webinars on there if you're interested in checking those out, caregiversummit.org. We are out of time for today. On behalf of Mary Lucas and Sam Peterson, I am Jason Kong, thanking you for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a great day. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.